0: There on Facebook you'll be able to find a connection card we just want to be able to help you take the next step in your faith get to know you a little bit we're not going to show up unannounced at your house we're not going to be intrusive and also if you're visiting with us please please overlook that fragrance that's in the air this morning I promise we're not smelly people okay we are not smelly people we had a freezer that went out over the weekend and as you might imagine while no one was here it it left a bit of an aroma Alright, so, uh, so we're ventilating, we're doing all those kinds of things, but we are thankful that you are here. So we're going to pick up where we, pick, where we dropped off last week. Last week we started in Joshua chapter 1. We really focused on verses 5 and 6 last week. This week we're going to focus on verses 7 through 9. And then next week we'll jump into chapter 2. But let's start in verse 1 and read through verse 9 together. God's Word says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Let's pray to the Lord this morning together. Heavenly Father, I pray for my people that you would open our eyes, open our hearts, open our lives to transformation. God, our prayer this morning is that we wouldn't just be a group of people that gather to hear words from an old book but that, Lord, we would be a group of people who are convinced that you have spoken through your word to us, that, Lord, we might obey what you have called us to obey, that we might become who you have called us to become, that we might do what you have set before us to do by your power and for your glory. That is, Lord, I pray for the people of Iron City Baptist Church that we would be a people of courageous faith of courageous, resolute obedience offered up to you, Lord, that we would say, here are our lives, O Lord. Do with them as you wish. Take them where you want them to go. Use them how you want to use them. And so, Father, all of the different ways that we are tempted to disobedience, all of the different ways that we are tempted to unbelief, I pray that the Holy Spirit, through your revealed word, would convict our sin, would change our minds, would persuade us toward your way, toward your path, into your image. Lord, we come now. We offer ourselves open-handed to you, asking you to speak to us powerfully. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So, one of the responsibilities of dads is to train, especially in their sons, to train them to have be men of courage and of valor. The, the, one of the responsibilities that dad ha, dads have in the family uniquely—it's not that moms play no role, but I think this is uniquely. Uh, embedded in the responsibilities of a dad is to train the hearts of their sons to be courageous and to have valor. Now, this is where the looping starship comes into my life. I was always kind of a short kid and a lot of insecurity as a result of being short and being small and it meant that I wasn't able to ride a lot of the rides at Six Flags as early as some of my friends were able to ride the rides at Six Flags and it was really a a situation it caused angst in me you know like like I really wanted that day where I would go and you would measure up beside the little uh, guy with the with the bar swinging it over your head that one day I would be there and I would be man enough you know man enough to be able to go and to get on these rides, and I remember that finally, finally, the year came, the summer came, in which I had reached maximum manhood, and I was going to be able to ride one of the rides that goes upside down. Well, I would always had my eye on the looping starship at Six Flags. Some of y'all probably rode the looping starship at Six Flags, but it would swing, and it swung in these big sweeping motion, and it would take you upside down, and then it would just kind of hang there for a minute and then it would come back down, and it would go frontward, it would go backward. It was, I mean, it was a thing, you know what I'm saying? And and I can remember I had always talked with my dad about riding the Lupin Starship, and we would be in line, and we would look at it, and I would talk about how I was going to do it. But as boys are prone to do, my talk, my bark, was a bit stronger than my bite. You know what I'm saying? My, My... my, my mouth was writing checks that my life didn't want to cash. And so it was time to ride the, the Lupin Starship, and I can remember my dad taking me over, and we're getting in the line, and I was having some serious second thoughts. You know, and I'm like, I think I'm good, Dad. I think I'm good. Let's go down Thunder River one more time. You know, what about the old runaway mine train? You know, let's get on that runaway mine train and on that like a boss. I've done that before. We can, we can do that. And and I can remember my dad, he's he's wanting, you know, looking back, he's wanting to teach me to be courageous. He's wanting to teach me to be bold. He's wanting me to be lion-hearted. I'm wanting to go and be with my mom and hang out with her for a while. And so he implied two strategies, two strategies to get me onto the looping starship. Strategy number one was shame. He tried to shame me to do it. This is what he did. He pointed out all the little girls that were in line. Y- y'all think I'm joking? This i am not being funny. He pointed out all the little girls that were in line, and he said, "Are you going to let them out? Do you? Are you going to let all those little girls go and ride? Because obviously they feel like it's safe enough. Obviously they feel like it's a good time. So are you going to let all the little girls get on the looping starship? And me and you are going to go ride the runaway mine train? Are you serious?" And then he employed—but he employed a second strategy, which was assurance, assurance. I can remember my dad looking at me and saying, "'Son, I will never ask you to do anything that will hurt you. "'I will never ask you to do anything that will hurt you.'" And so the question the question that that presents to me is, "'Will I trust what my father has said, "'or will I trust what my heart feels?' "'Will I trust what my father has said, "'or will I trust what my heart feels?' This is exactly the predicament that Joshua finds himself in as he stares at the far bank of the Jordan River on the edge of the promised land. He is looking against, at, an, at an enemy that, that outnumbers him and overmatches him in every respect. But the question, is, the question is, can I trust my father when my father says that he's going to be with me? Can I trust my father when my father says that he will not forsake me? Can I trust my father when he says the land is being given to me? Can I trust my father when he says that he's going to prosper me and give me good success? You see last week what we said, what we said was that courage and faith in the Bible are largely synonymous, but it's more nuanced than that actually. That that you see courage is not just something you possess Courage is something that you express. Courage is not just something that you possess. Courage is something that you express. And so faith, faith doesn't become courage until it's acted upon. Faith doesn't become courage until in light of the social cost, in light of the personal cost, in light of the potential threats, you say, I'm going to do it because this is what I believe. I'm going to do it because this is what God has said. And so when courage, when faith is expressed in light of consequences, in light of threats, in light of potential hardships, that's courage. That's courage. And so when God is looking to Joshua, what God is saying is, he's saying, your father is with you. Your father is with you. The question is not just, do you believe it? The question is not just, do you want to believe it? The question is, will you act upon it? Will you be courageous? Will you step forward and enter into the promised land and go to the far side of the Jordan when I tell you to go? And so what we said last week is that there's a, there's a central charge. There's a central charge that, that God is giving to his people, that God, God is particularly giving to Joshua as he's commissioning Joshua into his service. And that is to have courage, to be courageous, to possess it, that you might express it. But what we see this morning is that it comes with other, two additional charges that are implications of having courage or of being courageous courageous, that even when you're overmatched, even when you're outnumbered, even when the odds seem stacked against you, even when it seems like it may come at a great cost to you, are you willing to obey the Lord? Are you willing to go where the Lord is is calling you? Are you willing to do what the Lord is calling you to do? And so what we're going to see this morning, these implications, is we're going to be able to see what courage looks like and what it leads to. What it looks like and what it leads to. Let's look at the first uh, the first implication here. And it is to live courageously. So if I am courageous. If you, if you have courage. If you possess courage. Then courage is expressed through action. It is expressed through the life that you live. Through what you do. Through how you act. This is where I get that from. Look at verse 7 with me. He says, only be strong and very courageous. Being careful to do to do according to all the law that Moses my servant commanded you do not turn from the right hand or to the left that you may have good success wherever you go so when he says be careful to live to do according to the, all the law he could just say be uh, be careful to live according to all the law that he's talking about how this faith, how this obedience is going to actually manifest in their life, how this courage is going to manifest in their life, that are are you willing to obey me when I tell you to go? Are you willing to obey me to go wherever I call you to go? Are you willing to do what I ask you to do, even when it doesn't it reconcile with your mind, with your logic, with your rationale, with what you're thinking? Are you willing to do what I'm calling you to do, even when it may cost you? even when it brings threats into your life, even when it brings hardship and difficulty or the potential of hardship and difficulty, even when it calls you, causes you to experience loss. They, they were not going to come out of these battles as they come in and pursue Jericho and Ai and, and all the, the other cities in which they're going to have to go and to, to help them possess the land. They were going to come out of this unscathed. They were going to experience losses. They were going to experience hardship. They were going to experience difficulty. And so so are you willing, are you willing to go where I'm telling you to go, to obey my law, even when obeying my law, that's, that's at the forefront of his mind, is difficult. Are you willing to obey my word, even when obeying my word is costly? Are you? Are you? This isn't just a question for Joshua. This is a question for you. Are you willing to obey God's word even when obeying God's word is costly? Are you willing to live according to God's commands even when living according to God's command causes you to live counterculturally, causes uh, ramifications and and implications in your own life that are hard social costs that, that you have to pay? Are you willing to pay those and to obey the Lord anyway? You see what he says there, when he says only be strong and very courageous, The word courageous there can actually be translated as resolute. As resolute. Only be strong and very resolute, being careful to obey, being careful to do, to live according to all the law that Moses... That that what God is calling Joshua to... What God is calling all of the nation of Israel to is to be resolved in his word. To be resolute in their obedience. That God is going to call them forward and they aren't to waver to the right hand or to the left. They are to press on forward. This helps us to continue to clarify what the Bible understands faith and courage to be. Faith is not on a whim. It's not obeying when it feels like, when you feel like it. It's not obeying when you when when it makes sense to you. It's not obeying when it won't bring pain and and cost and hardship and difficulty into your children's lives or into your lives. That, That faith in the Bible is settled, determined obedience. It's settled, determined obedience. It's it's being resolved to live according to God's word and God's law regardless of what potential costs it may you may incur is being resolved to live according to what God has said, regardless of the implications and the ramifications that it brings and invites into your life, regardless of 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 what it brings into the life of your child your child, it is being determined I am going to parent according to the Word of God, regardless of what they think about it, regardless of how they feel about it, regardless of of difficulties that it that it brings in our relationship but, but regardless of potential conflicts that I experience in my Workplace or the mocking voice of people in that I go to school with or, or play ball with. That, that, my, that my my obedience is determined ahead of time because what I'm doing, I'm staking my well-being on the wisdom of God. I'm staking my well-being on the call of God. I'm putting my well-being not in my own wisdom, not in the wisdom of my friends, not in the wisdom of my parents. Not in the wisdom of my neighbors. Not in the wisdom of, of, of mommy group on Facebook. I'm putting my, my well-being in the hands of the Lord. And I'm trusting that the Lord will call me where the Lord will have me. And the Lord will supply me wherever he sends me. That the call of the Lord to obey the Lord will be better than any of the implications and any of the ramifications that I might experience. And, and you will experience them. I think if, the, if we zoom out and we think about what it means to live resolved according to the law of God, to live resolved according to what God has said, what we can see is we can see why the Bible takes courage and, and, uh, and, and resolve and makes them synonymous terms. That, that if I live resolved by the law of God, it is going to require in my life courage. Think about what this looks like for, for Joshua. It's courage. It's courage. When you look at the far bank of the Jordan and you say, I'm going because God has said it, regardless of what fortified cities are there, regardless of what potential losses I might experience, regardless of what fears I feel, regardless of what trepidations I have, regardless of our lack of training, regardless of our lack of ability, I'm going to go where God is sending me because God has said it, not because I'm able Not because it's easy for me. It's courage. It's courage. It's courage. When you have a teenage girl that stops the sexual advances of her boyfriend because God has said it. Because God has said it. She knows it may cost her the relationship. She she knows it may cost her to be under ridicule at school. She knows that it's going to bring potential costs in her life. And so it is courage when her faith is able to offer up to the Lord, Lord, I want you more than I want him. I want you more than I want approval. I want you more than I want to belong and be accepted by all the people at school. I want you. It's Courage courage when the young man refuses to go to all of the weekend parties and refuses to go and to, to join in with all of the dog talk that's in the locker room he's going to be excluded from the group he's going to stop, stop being invited to go out with the rest of the team He's not going to be able to experience some of the camaraderie that, that all of us enjoy. And it's courage when he says, more than the acceptance of my peers, more than the friendship of my teammates, more than the admiration of what all of them think, more than the stories of high school days. What I want, what I need, what I require, what I must have is the approval and the pleasure of God in my life. It's courage. It's courage. It's courage. It's courage when the ambitious man at a growing company leaves that job to take one that's lower paying because they were calling him to compromise his ethics and he is determined to live according to kingdom ethics that that what he is saying is lord more than i want the fulfillment of my ambition more than i want the fulfillment of my dreams more than i want a huge salary more than i want the status in this world more than i want all of that what i want what i want is to live a life that is pleasing to you I trust your way more than I trust my way. I trust your will more than I trust my will. I trust my status in the kingdom is more significant than my status here on earth. It's courage. When you have a young mother who refuses to go in in debt to be able to pull off a great birthday party that all of her friends will, will be impressed by because she knows what God has called her to do because she's not living for their approval. That even though she wants people to think that she's a good mother and even though she wants people to think that she's doing a good job and even though she wants to be convinced that she's doing a good job, that she's able to say, Lord, Lord, if you think I'm doing a good job, Lord, if, if my works are a pleasing in your sight, if, if you give your acceptance and your approval, that's all I want and that's all I need. And so, Lord, I don't have to go in debt to impress other people. It's courage. If you are going to live resolved by the law of God, if you are going to live resolutely in his image, in his way, in his path, according to his will, it's going to require courage. That is, it's going to require faith, determined, settled belief that is expressed in your life through courageous, resolute obedience. But there's a flip side, right? There's a flip side, I, and I think this is very much in, in view here. Notice what he says, do not turn from the right hand or to the left. That is, what, he, what he's saying is, is, set the compass, the due north of, compass, of the compass of your life on the law of God, and let that guide every step. Let that determine every single step that you take. Let, let that uh, help you decide where you're going to go. Because, 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 you are going to be tempted, you are going to be tempted to believe there's another way. Do you know why you don't obey? It's because you don't believe. Disobedience is always the result of disbelief. See, there's a flip side of the coin here. There's a flip side of the coin here. The only reason I turn to the right or I turn to the left is I think that the right or the left is a better way. I think it's a shortcut. I think it's an easier path. I think it's a simpler way for me to go. And so I'm going to turn to the right or turn to the left. I'm going to go a way other than the way God has called me to go. I'm going to go according to my own thoughts and my uh, my own wisdom and my own strength because I think my way is the better way. So I'm going to go right or I'm going to go left because I don't believe. See, I think you can boil down basically every disobedience to, to three categories. It's either that you disbelieve that God is better than everything else, or you disbelieve that God's way is better than every other way, or you believe that God is holding something back from you that's good and that you deserve. That's the only reasons that you disobey. All of them are centered in unbelief. All of them are centered upon a lack of confidence and faith and trust in the Lord. And so the Lord gives them a a, a promise. He gives to Joshua a promise, and He gives to us a promise that we can hold on to that, that speaks against this unbelief that creeps into our lives, that speaks against this unbelief that calls us to disobedience. Look at the promise that He gives there that you may have good success wherever you go, that you may have good success wherever you go. That if you will go my way, I will not lead you like the other gods. I'm not flaky like they are. I'm not going to lead you astray. I'm not going to bring you into a place. It's my dad looking at me in the line of the Lupin starship and saying, "Son, Son, I will never take you anywhere that I think you will be hurt. I will never ask you to do anything that I think will damage you. This is God looking at Joshua and saying, If you will go where I'm saying, if you, will, if you will live resolute in my law, if you will obey my command, then you can know, you can rest assured that I am going to bring you success wherever it is that you go. Now, the word success there, if you look down in the footnote of your Bible, it may, uh, it may even say um, to live wisely. To live wisely that you may live wisely wherever you go. You may attain wisdom wherever you go. Now, what, what does it mean? What does it mean to, to live wisely? It, it means to li- live skillfully according to the principles of God, right? Right? The, the whole book of Proverbs, essentially, is a book written primarily to young men that they can know the systems and the ways that God designed the world, that they can live skillfully according to the design of God, according to the will of God, wherever God takes them. And so, so one, of the, one of the purposes of God's law in our lives and I want you to understand, the Old Testament law, it still, has, it still has a place for us, especially the moral law. Remember, we talked about this category. The moral law, because the moral law enables us to understand how we can live skillfully wherever the will of God takes us, wherever the will of God takes for us. Psalm 119, it sums this up, I think this is in verses uh, 97 through 100. It, it, it says that your law makes me wiser than my enemies. Your law gives me greater understanding than my teachers. Think about what that means. Those that would come against you, those that would seek to harm you, those that would seek to destroy you, you have a way in which you can survive their attacks. What is it? Knowing the law of God. The law of God equips you with a wisdom that is greater than those that live outside of his law. It equips you with a wisdom that enables you to be able to, to make it. And not just make it, but to thrive, to live skillfully. In fact, it says, you know, we have a very young congregation. Uh, uh, our, our DOM, Roger Wilmore, he tells me that we have the youngest congregation in the whole association here locally. And, and, and here's the problem. that The Bible assumes that young people are foolish. <laughs> The Bible assumes that young people are foolish. But when Psalm 119 says that you can have, by obedience to God's law, you can have an understanding that is greater than that of your teachers, it says in another place that you can become wiser than your elders. What it's saying is that you, young mom, you, young dad, you, young person, can have a wisdom that far exceeds your capacity, that far exceeds your years, that far exceeds your experience, that you, even in your 20s, can become increasingly wise because God has given you all. All that you need to live wisely in his world and according to his way in his law. And that law, that law equips you to be able to live and to thrive. Now, when he says good success, he's not necessarily talking about an easy life. That's that's how we equate success, isn't it? We we equate success, well, obviously I'm going to feel good. I'm going to have lots of money. I'm going to become a well-paid rich person and I'm going to retire early and move to the Bahamas and success. Success. Right? That's not at all what he's talking about. When when he's talking about success, he's talking about living successfully within the will of God, wherever the will of God carries you. And this I think this even especially includes in light of suffering, in light of hardship. If the will of God, if the, if the plan of providence takes you into a painful place, if it takes you into a painful season, how is it that you can thrive in the midst of that pain? How is it that you can thrive in the midst of that suffering? How is it that you can thrive in the midst of that hardship? You can thrive in the midst of that hardship by applying the wisdom of the law to your life. Let me show you where I'm getting that from. Verse 8, he basically gives a parallel promise. He gives a parallel promise. He says, he basically restates the promise from verse 7 in different languages. He says, For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. So he repeats that word a second time, right? All right, so the word prosperous there is a word that comes up a few different times in Scripture. L- let me explain to you a couple of the people that it calls prosperous. Joseph, when he's in Potiphar's house, do y'all remember what, how, how Joseph got in Potiphar's house? Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. He was not where he wanted to be. His life had not gone the way he thought it should go. His path had not been simple and easy. Joseph had been sold into slavery. And do you know what it says? Joseph prospered in Potiphar's house. Joseph prospered. In Potiphar's house, that it was obvious and evident that the presence of God and the favor of God was upon Joseph so that he was able to do well, that he was able to thrive in the midst of Potiphar's house. There's there's another example time that this is used. It's Daniel in Babylon. Remember how Daniel gets in Babylon? Babylon overtakes, captures Israel and takes the, the cream of the crop and it exports them into Babylon. They can be trained up as, to be leading Babylonians. So Daniel is not where he wants to be. Daniel is in the, he, he's basically being held against his, his will to be a slave and servant of Babylon, of Nebuchadnezzar. And yet it says, it says of Daniel that God prospered him in Babylon. God prospered him in Babylon. That Daniel was able to live in a way that was at peace with God, that was at, in joy with God, that was, uh, that was thriving. Because even though the will of God had taken him away from his parents, away from his home, into the heart of Babylon, there Daniel was. And Daniel was able to live skillfully. Daniel was able to live wisely. Daniel was able to live successfully within the will of God, even though from the outside looking in, his life didn't look good at all. How does that play out for us? You know, this past week, the House of Representatives passed the Equality Act. The Equality Act. And it's an atrocious thing. It's an atrocious thing. It it guarantees, guarantees, right? That if we hold to our worldview, if we hold to the strict teachings of Scripture, that we're on the outside looking in in our society. Right? Right? And it's one implication of many that we're, where we are concerned about the potential religious liberties that we have. And so here's, here's, the, here, here's what would be normal. What would be normal is if we, that we would get really afraid. What would be normal is if we become overwhelmed. What would be normal is if we turn inward and we try to build our compounds and monasteries and withdraw from the world and, and raise our kids or, or avoid having kids altogether or, or teach our grandchildren to be afraid of the days that they're living in. But y'all, we don't have to be afraid. In light of hardship, in light of disappointment, in light of living in the midst of Babylon, We can thrive in the will of God by living skillfully according to the law of God. That by applying God's law to our lives, regardless of where God's will takes us, regardless of what the way our society may deteriorate or not, regardless of the direction that our schools may go or not, regardless of what our kids are exposed to or not, we are able to thrive as the people of God because we have the word of God. We can now live skillfully, successfully within the will of God regardless of where the will of God carries us and takes us. Do you see how this leads to a courageous life? That if resolved obedience in my life leads to God's God's promises being realized in my life, then what I can believe is that God's law leads to the success of my life regardless of the place that my life takes. So God, take me wherever you want me to go. Do with me whatever you want to do. Work in me however you want to work. Call me to go wherever you want me to go because God, I know, I know I am committed to this word because I am committed to your word. You will supply, you will work, you will enable me to thrive wherever God has called me to go. And that's why we're so committed to discipleship here, y'all. That's why we're so committed to discipleship. It's not because it's a buzzword that I want you guys to latch on to. It's not because it's some strategy that's gonna make me be able to pat myself on the back. What discipleship is, is discipleship is training you how to live skillfully in the times and days that you live in according to the law of God. It's enabling you to know God's law and to understand God's law that you can grow in wisdom, that you can grow in understanding, that now you are able to thrive regardless of what society throws at you, regardless of what the House of Representatives think, regardless of what your teammates and classmates and co workers and colleagues, regardless of what you experience in your family, regardless of what you face health wise, if you can know the word of God and you can understand the word of God and you can believe in the, and, and live resolutely according to the law of the Lord then you are able to live a life that is courageous in light of all of those things so that you can now succeed succeed wherever God's will takes you and so an implication of what he's calling, if you, if you want to know what having courage looks like in your life, it looks like you living courageously It looks like you're living courageously because you know God's word, you believe God's word, and you are resolved to live by it. Brings us to the last implication, that we would lead courageously. That we would lead courageously. Now, Joshua is being called to lead God's people to a place, and remember, Joshua's a pretty insecure fellow, Joshua doesn't have a lot of ideas on how to lead, right? All he's done is watch Moses. He's never been in this position, but here he is, probably around 100 years old. And he's got this grumbling group of people, and God says, all right, Joshua, you're the man. Let's go do it, man. Let's make it happen. That God, one of the, what God does is he delegates his dominion. He delegates his leadership. He does that in the family. He does that in the church. He did that here for his people thousands of years ago. That what God does is He delegates His dominion, He delegates His authority, that we might lead in the way that He would lead, that we might go in the way that He would go, because He gives us, again, His word. So, so if, we, if he is calling us to courage, one of the things that he's, the reasons that he's calling us to courage is he's calling us to courage, that we would lead in the way that He would lead. All of you are called to lead your families collectively iron city we are called we have elders certainly that are called to lead god's church but we're in this together man like we're, we're we're all called to lead our church toward toward god's mission toward the great commission toward the reaching of our community toward the pushing back of darkness toward going to those that are far from god and bringing them toward god and so he, he calls joshua and he calls to us to to three different three different actions the first thing he does is he he sets the direction he sets the direction. This is what God's this is the role that God's word plays plays in the life of God's leaders. Look at what he says. He says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. All right? So he's envisioning, he's envisioning Joshua speaking, and when Joshua speaks, he's not speaking Joshua's words. When Joshua speaks, he's not saying what Joshua has the opinion to say. He's not speaking about Joshua's agenda. He's not speaking about Joshua's ambitions. He's speaking, and when he speaks, he's speaking the word of God. He's speaking what God has to say. He's speaking God's agenda. He's speaking God's itinerary. He's giving God's mission that when he speaks, he says what God would have him to say. Now, remember where where we are. Everybody is huddled around Joshua, and they're waiting for what? For Joshua to give the word. They're they're, they're waiting for Joshua to say, let's go and take the promised land. Let's go and do this. Let's, Let's make this happen. And so here's what God's saying. Joshua, every time, wait for my word every time wait for my word every time you try to lead you don't lead according to your wisdom you lead my through my word god leads his people through his word that's why we primarily lead the church how through the pulpit We lead the church through the preaching of his word. Why? Because God doesn't lead according to the ingenuity of his leaders. He doesn't lead according to the charisma of his leaders. God leads by his word what he has to say, what his agenda is, what his itinerary is, what his mission is for his people. That is, that God intends you, one of the roles that God intends for his law to take in your life is to set you on a Godward trajectory on a Godward trajectory, to set your life in a Godward direction. The antithesis of this is what Paul's always talking about. You ever notice when Paul talks, very often he'll, he'll, he'll give some great gospel truth and he'll say, I want you to be mature in this, that you won't be blown to and fro by every wind of doctrine. He says this to his young protege, Timothy. He says, I, I, don't, I don't want you to get wrapped up in silly, irreverent myths because this stuff is foolishness. This stuff will lead you astray. It'll lead you to the right. It'll lead you to the left. But what you need, what you need is you need true north. You need to head, you need to head north toward the will of God, according to the law of God. Everybody has an opinion on how you should live. Everybody does. Your parents do. Your grandparents do. Your kids do, your friends do, your colleagues do, pop culture does, Oprah does. Everybody's got an opinion on how you should go. And if you're always needing everybody's acceptance and you're already always heeding everyone's opinions and you're always trying to apply everyone's wisdom to your life, you're going to be blown to and fro all over the place, man. So where do you go? What do you do? You go to God's word. You let God's word set the direction for your family. You let God's word set the direction and the agenda for your church. You let God's word set the agenda and the direction for your life. Does that mean that you never listen to counselors? Of course not. Of course not. Proverbs is clear, the wisdom that comes through counselors. But you only listen to counselors that do what? That are seasoned with God's word. You only listen to counselors that are going to lead you according to God's word, that are going to help increase your understanding of God's word, that are going to help you apply God's word. They're going to help you live wisely according to God's word. One of the dreams that I have, one of the visions that I have for our church is that God would use this church, particularly in the lives of some young daddies, to set their families on a Godward trajectory. That God would call the men and women of Iron City Baptist Church to come together and to say, no, not what are all the other churches doing, not what is going to get the most people here, not what is the most exciting thing, but what has God called for us to do? Let's do that. What has God called for our marriages to be? Let's do that. What has God called for our parenting to do? Let's do that. What is God called for us to, how has God called for us to live in light of the society that we live in? Let's do that at all costs, regardless of what everybody else says. Let's not go to the right. Let's not go to the left. Let's go where God has called for us to go. And if God, we will go where God has called for us to go, we can be sure, we can be sure that God will be right there in the middle second thing that he we see is he changes the conversation the, the first god establishes the, the direction and then he changes the conversation look at, look at what he says he says but you shall meditate on it day and night now what is it it is the law okay so w- when we say meditate we, we have all of these like new age ideas we think of i need to come to myself and get zen and be centered and and Think deeply of the, of the word of God. Um, um, think think th- thoughts of God and thoughts of creation. That's not what meditation even means in Hebrew. In Hebrew, meditation means to speak it aloud. To speak it aloud. So, so God, Joshua is going to take his soldiers to the battlefield. And soldiers, that, that's, that's being generous, Right. But he wasn't able to take the scrolls with him. The scrolls were were rare. They were expensive. They were were cumbersome. He couldn't take the five scrolls of Moses and go marching through the battlefield. No, he had to memorize it. He had to know it. He had to repeat it over and over and over again. Think about the people that he's been leading. What's the word? That has come up time and again as they've been in the wilderness. Ever since they left Egypt, what's the word that comes up again and again? Paul picks up on this in Philippians chapter 2. It's the word grumble, right? They're always grumbling. They're like us. Every stinking step, God does something miraculous, and it's like the next day they grumbled because they were hungry. God does something miraculous, to taste. they grumbled because they were thirsty. They get to the edge of the promised land and God is bringing them into this bountiful land that's like Fort Knox for the people of God and you know what they say? Well God, they grumbled that God may may be going to kill their children in the middle of the wilderness. Everywhere they go, they're grumbling. On their lips, on their lips was a focus on the problems. On their lips was always a focus on the difficulty. On their lips was always speaking of what they didn't like, speaking about what they had problems with, slandering Moses, gossiping about their leadership, gossiping about uh, about what God was doing or wasn't doing, always impugning the character of God, grumbling, lowering the morale, building divisions among the people of God. Well, let me tell you, if you take a divided people filled with grumbling and gossip and take them to the walls of Jericho, you're about to get scorched, man. You're about to get scorched. And so here's what God says. God says, Joshua, Joshua, change the conversation. Change the conversation. Have the people stop focusing on the problems. Stop talking about the problems. Stop obsessing over the problems and start meditating on the promises. Change the conversation from the problems to the promises. And what you're going to see, Joshua, is if they will stop talking about what they don't have and talking about who they do have, talking about who is with them, talking about who will deliver them, talking about what has been promised to them, what's going to happen is division is going to become unity. Low morale is going to become courage. Disobedience is going to become obedience. And what they're going to witness as they go to the walls of Jericho is the miraculous presence of God doing what only the miraculous presence of God can do. In your life, in your life, let me ask you honestly, honest to God, are you, are you a grumbler? Are you a grumbler? Are you a gossip? On your lips on your lips is it always about the problems always about what you don't have all about always about how you've been let down always about woe is me always about self pity it'll change your life man it'll change your life if you will change the conversation and stop focusing on what you do have and start focusing on who you have. There are promises. He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Obsess over it, man. Meditate on it. Speak it. Sing it over and over. Repeat it. I will make you successful wherever you go. I will give you the land. Repeat the promises. I, God will make all things work together for your good. Jesus has come through his resurrection glory so that you can make his presence in your life an assumption. I am with you always to the ends of the age. Change the concept conversation in your life and you will change the direction of your life that brings us to the final one which is he emboldened their activity he emboldened their action all right so so if you think about that first step he sets them on the path What, what does god's law do it tells us where we should go it tells us who we should be but what's the problem with knowing where we should go and who we should be we can't be we always come up short we're, we're, we're corrupt people. we've got issues, we've got problems. But then he says, "Change the conversation from problems to promises. And what's the promise? I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. If that's true, if that's true, then what I should do, I now can do. I couldn't do it on my own. I couldn't do it by myself. I couldn't do it by my own moral courage. I couldn't do it by my own moral strength. I couldn't do it by digging deeper within, but I can do it if God is with me. I can do it if God is with me. I can overcome Jericho if God is with me. I can go to the far side of the Jordan if God is with me. I can obey the Lord in light of the social cause, in light of the social difficulties, in light of what God is calling me to do, in light of all the pain that it might bring to my life. I can do it if I can know, if I can know that God is with me. And so in verse 9, what does he do? He brings them back to the central place. Charge and to the central promise when he says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Brothers and sisters, this is the gospel. You should have lived a perfect life, but you couldn't live a perfect life. But Jesus Came and he dwelt among us and he lived a life that you and I were supposed to live but could never live he went before us and he obtained a righteousness that was foreign to us so that he might die in our place be resurrected to glory and send his spirit who dwells with every single one of us today so that he can say I will never leave you I will never forsake you I will be with you every single step so now what you should do you can do so when your father when your father looks at you and he says get on the looping starship you can go man you can go ma'am. when God calls you to the mission field you can go when God calls you to homeschool your kids you can do it when God calls you to adopt you can do it when God calls you to, to go and to step into the life of your grandbabies and your adult children to, to help them navigate that season and to, to even put, to sacrifice your own freedom and your own energy that you can spend more time with them, you can do it, you can do it because God is with you. Be courageous. Live courageously. Lead courageously. Let's pray to the Lord Let's work.